Welcome to Life on Pause, a podcast defining the experience of being a young adult with cancer. Each episode, we explore issues impacting young adults in and after treatment. Like what you hear? Have something to add? Come join us for next month's recording, the third Tuesday at 6 p.m. Our topic tonight, which I'm really excited about, is pets. And I'm especially excited because I get to see everyone's pets if you guys have them in the room with you. I showed mine off earlier. She's a brat right now and is just sitting behind my laptop. And we also have Karen here from Canine Assistance, who's like really nice to come and join us and talk a little bit about. Oh, and I see Shelly has one of her little fur balls with her. I wanted to let Karen talk a little bit and kind of introduce herself and tell us a little bit about herself and her work really quick, if that's okay with Karen. I was going to try to show you my dog, but of course, she's only showing me her reverse side. This is Dora. Dora, can you say hi? I am from Canine Assistance. For those of you that don't know who we are, we are a nonprofit organization that we actually breed, teach, and place service dogs with people with disabilities, primarily mobility disabilities, diabetes, and um, seizure disorders as well as we place hospital facility therapy dogs. You guys in your pediatric hospital have Kaya and Becky from us. These dogs do amazing things. And I'm wondering like how much you guys, you know, if you guys have all met either one of them, you know, the breeds we use are golden retrievers, Labrador retrievers, and golden doodles, which is um, a golden retriever standard poodle mix. They are born on our property. Bloodlines have to do with, are they kind? Are they gentle? Kind of their work ethic, all of those kind of things. And they start really learning. I would say it's really young, but within their first week, um, because people in our nursery team are touching them and holding them close to their hearts and things like that. When they're four weeks of age, I think maybe five weeks of age, they start going in the little snugglies that, you know, you see people carrying their babies in. We carry our puppies in those and take them to like a Walmart or a, a local grocery store or something like that. And so they're, get, they're used to being near our hearts and hearing the sights and sounds of people life, but their feet aren't touching the ground. We want to keep them kind of away from germs. At seven weeks of age, they get their puppy shot. So they're allowed to walk on the ground and they have those little tiny packs, what you would kind of see Kaya and Becky wearing now, but they're teeny tiny. And um, we start taking them out. They go to a grocery store on the day they turn seven weeks of age. From then on, our goal is to teach them all about people life. So they experience life with all of our volunteers and our instructors. And our goal is to let them experience life, all shape, size, colors of us, as well as life. So seeing a UPS truck, riding an elevator, going to stores, restaurants, you know, spending some time maybe a weekend with somebody that lives in the city, somebody that lives in the country, somebody that's retired, someone that has really young children, somebody that has got teenagers, you know, all of these things, you know, riding on a train, you know, all of these kind of things so that people life is normal for them. They're not worried about it. What we use is called the bond-based approach. It's all about the relationship. So all about the bond, all about loving your animal, and letting them know that they are always safe with us. So if they're always safe and loved by people, and they've never had anything bad or negative from people, they're always going to trust us. And so that makes them kind of confident 
in our world, but it also makes them understand that when somebody's reaching to touch them or whatever, that they don't have to worry about somebody doing anything that would harm them. So then as they become, I would say around 10 months of age, we're looking for dogs that might have the right personality to um, be a hospital therapy dog. And we start sending those dogs to different hospitals here in Atlanta that we partner with. So our volunteers take them in and they work side by side with some of the healthcare professionals in different areas, giving the dogs the experience and the exposure. And so at that point, we're looking for dogs that love it. Our dogs, they're all beautiful. They're all kind. They're all gentle. But some would rather be with a recipient so that they would rather have one person, one family, and just love them with everything they have. They'd be nice to other people, but they really want their one family. Whereas our hospital dogs really have never met a stranger. So I don't know if you've met them. And I'm sure if you have, you're probably the favorite person that they've ever met. But those dogs tend to be like, wow, you're awesome. I love you. Oh, look at you, new friend. You're great too. So they just kind of, they spread that love and love, you know, all of us. And, and it, it's a feel-good thing. And it's also it helps with, in a therapeutic way. That's kind of what we do. There's a whole lot that's involved with it. Thank you so much for sharing, Karen. And it's like a really wonderful like work that you do. So it's really exciting to have you like to hear have someone that's like on the other kind of like side of therapy things and like training and all that work. I did have like one question, which I guess you kind of answered. Uh, my big one was kind of like, what is the difference between like training like animals for service animals and kind of pet therapy, which I think you kind of touched upon. I don't know if you wanted to go a little bit more into detail about that, because I'm kind of curious. With us... We teach our dogs all the same way. So they all learn the same things and they're all taught the same way because we are a service dog school. So it's, it's a little different for us than it would be for like pet therapy or um, even an organization that just does therapy dogs because therapy dogs have different legal access than service dogs. So a service dog with an individual has access to anywhere the public would go. So restaurants and stores and going to the doctor's office with you, going to the hospital if you're hospitalized, all of this is provided somebody could care for them. You know, they ride on the airplane with you, all of these things. And that's a service dog. Our dogs all are raised in a service dog school. So they're all taught the exact same way until we kind of identify personalities. And then the hospital dogs layered on top of all their other teaching, they get the exposure to see if that's what they're born to do. Our mission is to help people by loving dogs and to teach people about dogs and, and animals to really make sure the dogs get where they're born to be. I guess for the group then, we want to go through and kind of introduce ourselves, maybe our pets, and then we can kind of get to the question. I'm Catherine and my pet's Zoe, but she's on the other side of the laptop and she's being a brat right now, but she's a cute little cat. And I guess I will make Brady go next. My name is Brady Lucas. My pets are not with me right now. They are at my home home in Pennsylvania. My dog's name is Otto. It's a German Shepherd. My girlfriend and I are actually looking at potentially fostering a dog. She wants to do it. I'm like kind of so-so here and there. But definitely love the pet therapy and love the kind of the realm behind what service dogs stand for. So thanks so much, Karen, for being here. Definitely will have a lot of questions for you, the more scientific-based approach to a kind of the, the thought process. But like I said, thank you so much for being here. I'm going to choose Casey to go next. 
Hi, uh, nice to meet you, Karen. My name is Casey Connor. I sadly also do not have have the dogs with me. Two I like to claim as my own. Uh, my girlfriend adopted a dog back in August, so had her for a little over four months now. She's a, a black lab beagle mix. She's really amazing. And then my mom has a has a chocolate lab who's pushing 11, 12 years old at this point. So we actually, we got him when I was in eighth grade. He was around for the vast majority of my treatment. So so very near and dear to my heart. Like Brady, I have questions for you and, and excited to learn more. This is Oliver. He's about two years old. We had him since he was a kitten. He's my second orange cat. I had one orange cat a couple years ago and they're just the sweetest. So this guy's been with me throughout treatment and he is a little... He's very good at picking up on my moods and he will always come and sit with me when I'm feeling kind of off. Ready to go? Okay. He's like, that's enough about me. He's a sweetheart. And I wasn't really a cat person until a couple of years ago when I got my first cat. And I just realized the attitude and the mood is so me. And we've been in an apartment, so we're not able to, uh, my husband and I, we're not able to uh, have a dog right now, but we love, we love him to death. I have four cats and they were all strays that showed up on our property. So we originally were like, okay, we have a max of three. And then last year, this like little kitten showed up and we were like, had every intention to find him a home, but then we really liked him. So that's how we ended up with four. (laughs) But I can't, none of them are around. I just stepped out a second to see if they were around. They're usually here, like trying to jump on my computer and like bother me. And of course, like, the one time that I want them to do that, nowhere to be seen. <laughs> I'm very much a cat person. That's such a cat thing, though, for them to just not be there when you want them. Like, that's just, that's such a cat thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I'm also the same way that, like, we got most of our cats astray because people would dump them, like, because we lived out kind of in farm area. That's how I ended up with Zoe. And she's actually going on 12 or 13, though she's a tiny little one. So I guess enough about our pets. But you know they're adorable. Our first question, I just wanted to ask kind of for those of you who are able to utilize pet therapy, because I know not everyone was, unfortunately. How did it help you when going through treatment? In my experience, where unfortunately I was diagnosed during COVID. And I know that right now with with the separation and something that I had looked into or that I wanted to do was pet therapy just because I love being around animals and I find them very understanding more than people can be sometimes, to be fair. But unfortunately, during it was COVID, so I didn't have that opportunity. But in a former life, I used to know a group back where I used to live that did similar things. And they had animals that went into the hospitals and other things. So it reminded me of that. So I wanted to utilize the services, but unfortunately, it's COVID. Most of my experiences were, were with Becky walking the halls of the Children's Hospital, which was always, always a welcome sight. Yeah, re- really enjoyed whenever I could interact with her. One time in particular stuck out to me uh, when I was there on a Friday and she was coming in with just kind of like eyes glossed over. She just looked kind of tired. And, you know, she was just saying like, yeah, it's, you know, it's Friday. She gets tired on Fridays, you know, end of the week for her. So um, I I just got a huge kick out of that, that it was just kind of like everyone else getting getting through the week. Um, but but she really just brightened, brightened my day every time I got to interact with her. I really appreciated Karen talking about looking for dogs with a work ethic. That's something I never conceived of. Um, but hearing Casey's story, I'm just, it just also kind of ties together. So I'm curious about that. Yeah. So in, in the recipient world, so for an individual with disabilities, 
you know, everybody needs different things, but some people um, need dogs to bring them things or pick things up. Like they'll drop their pencils or bring them a bottle of water, bring them meds, go get help. Maybe they need the doors opened for them. So a dog that could pull on a bandana that would open a door or push automatic door buttons. Sometimes the dogs need to turn lights on for them. We look for, like our breeds are perceived as friendly by the public. I mean, yeah, a golden, a lab, and a doodle, they all look sweet, right? So no one's scared of them. And they have the energy to work, but it kind of tones down so they don't have so much energy that they drive you nuts. You know, our recipients, when they're calm, they need a dog that's really calm. But when they're ready to get up and move around and go to work and and maybe go on public transit and move around and, and all those things, you need a dog that will, will want to do that with them and, and have that work ethic to do it. They're all different personalities, just like people. We all have different personalities. We all have different strengths. And so it's identifying what that is in each dog and um, getting their right match. Karen, to kind of bounce off that, how do hospitals receive dogs? Do they apply for them or is it kind of you have a dog that you're looking to place in a hospital because of their intelligence level or their personality or how does how does that process work? For us, it it starts with a phone call and it starts with a hospital saying, hey, we're interested in this. And then from there, it, it's a lot of work to get it going because you have to get upper management approval. You have to get infection prevention on board. Policies have to be rewritten or updated because Our dogs are a bit different than pet therapy that's coming with volunteers. Our dogs are working with the healthcare professionals. So they're really almost a member of the staff. So they're in different situations. They can be in other environments than maybe a pet therapy dog could go in. You know, they can be involved in procedures and things like that. So um, we work through all of that. And And then on our end, we're looking for their handlers to be people that want a furry member of their family for life. You know, somebody that is committed to how awesome these animals are and how it will be this huge bonus to what they do in their job, but also knowing that they're going to love the dog just unconditionally forever. And is there training for that, for the like the child life specialist or whoever is the handler for the dog? Yeah, they come to Georgia, um, which is where we're from, and they go through a camp. They have a lot of things to read and study before that, but then they come and they meet their dog. They go through a camp and we do a lot of activities together. We do a lot of role playing and they have a lot of lectures and Q&A time. Um, And then we're partners forever. So if they need anything, they call or text. I'm I'm on 24-7, whatever people need. I don't think I realized how much like work and like training like went into this. I just thought that was really cool. Do you also train um, like the diabetic dogs? Because I've always thought that was really interesting that dogs can help people like know that their blood sugar is low. We do place dogs with people with diabetes. So that's one of the things that we place for, you know, dogs have amazing noses, but not all dogs. You know, sometimes it's a breed thing and sometimes it's within a breed. So um, you're looking for a dog that has a really good nose. Um, and then the bond with that person is very significant. We place dogs with people with epilepsy and scientifically they haven't proven yet that that scent is what dogs pick up on for epilepsy, but we're fairly certain that is it. 
you know, we think that the sense of smell is is good in that situation as well. Has anyone else seen Pick of the Litter? I have not. Okay. Okay. I was I was going to ask um, how real that, that's, that was to you. As a brief summary, it follows kind of from birth, the process of dogs trying to eventually you know, go through the program and they are placed with blind people who, who need guide dogs. So again, I'm sure some of the training is specific to, uh, I, I think they have a lot more of a focus on like walking and knowing when to cross streets and things like that. But if you haven't seen it, I recommend it. It's a very, very good documentary, but I was just curious how that was compared to your experience. I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. Guide dogs are very different than what we do. And the reason is, I mean, there's lots of reasons. Guide dogs are really helping to direct their people in, in some of the instances. So to keep a person from walking across the street into traffic and things like that. Whereas our dogs are receiving direction from the person. And I'm sure there's a whole lot more because I've never taught um, a guide dog, but a lot of the teaching is going to be very different. We had a documentary done by PBS on us. Um, it's been several years ago now that's out there. It was on Delta Airlines. They, they showed it forever as part of their, um, whatever the movies on that plane, you know, the stuff you can choose. About how many dogs do you place a year, whether it be hospitals or with individuals? You guys should go to our website, caninassistance.org, and you'll see more about us. And I think there are also videos of graduations and stuff. We have placed, now this is COVID year, so COVID year was just horrible because people can't travel. You know, the hospitals for a long time weren't able to travel a lot, still or not. It's kind of swinging back and forth. Um, and our recipients, it really wasn't safe to ask them to travel, stay in hotels and, and all of that. So this year was slow. But to put it in perspective, we've been around since 1991. We've placed over 2,500 dogs in service. Um, in all 50 states and five countries. We're really good at what we do. Our founder, Jennifer Arnold, has been you know, there from the beginning, and she is committed to the animal bond and to us loving and understanding what a great gift they are. She is always in trying to improve the relationship, trying to improve the way we look at animals and the way that we treat them. I think we just keep getting better and better at what we do. I think our sweet spot is around 85 dogs a year. Um, sometimes it could be a bit more than that. We have anywhere from 130 to 150 dogs at one time that are in teaching that live on our property. We have a big staff of, I think it's around 300 volunteers that help us get the dogs out, experience life, help the instructors teach them and give them real life experience. It is a most definitely a commitment of love. It is people that love dogs and love the idea of, of the dogs being there for others. You used the word love. And when Kat and I had a chance to talk to you before the recording, you said that one of the things that animals can teach us is about love. We didn't actually get to hear very much about that, but I am curious now, like what you meant by that. You know, I think when it comes down to it, we all love our pets, right? And they make us feel good. I think the reason for that is, is they love us. You know, we like to say unconditionally. I think that's nice, but it's not unconditionally, right? We have to keep them safe. We have to provide food. We have to provide shelter. But if we give them all those basic things and we love them, they love us every day. 
I mean, like if my husband and I know he loves me, but if he came to the door and greeted me like my dog, oh my goodness, my life would change, right? I mean, think about it. You know, having this friend that always loves, you know, just is always super excited to be near you, around you. They're always present. I think it teaches us how to love. I think it teaches us how to love others. And it's a good thing. It always makes you feel good. There's never a day really. I mean, you can have a tired dog, but if they're getting what they need, they're always happy and they're always going to love on you. And you think of the happy dance They, you know, you feed them and every meal time, it's the best meal ever. You know, there is no complaining about, are we eating that again? Or that's cold or whatever. Like, I wish I could be so satisfied with the same thing all the time. Right. That's really great, Karen. Thank you. That actually, uh, because of like all about like the love thing, I know for me, like I really felt that one of my questions for like the group was kind of like, if you have like a pet at home, what role did they play in like helping you through treatment and recovery? Having like all that love from like my pet in particular, I know like that made such a big impact on me because animals are incredibly intelligent and they're astute too. So like they can like sense emotions really well. When like I like wasn't like really open to showing how I was feeling, you know, trying to be like strong as we do sometimes when going through treatment, like my cat always knew and she always like knew how to curl up with me and make me feel better. So I don't know if anyone else had kind of similar experiences while going through treatment. First, before I get into that, I got to say, Karen, every time you mention that golden retrievers are involved with this, all I can imagine is my brother's golden retriever, who's a beautiful soul. He's very derpy. And I'm just imagining his dog just like runs around, like has that happy dance, has that just, and every time I'm around him, it just makes you so happy. Cause he's just like, everything's amazing. Everything's great. One of my brother's uncle on his wife's side, their poor dog wagged his tail so hard that he broke his tailbone because golden retrievers are so excited. So it just, it reminded me of that. I had to say like, I love golden retrievers. <laughs> that's, that's what that reminded me of. In my own life, having Oliver uh, around during treatment has been wonderful. He's a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde cat, so he can be really, really super sweet and then super standoffish, but that's what cats are. He's very intuitive in knowing during treatment, especially on chemo days, being extremely sensitive to, oh, she's lying down. I'm going to go over there and curl up with her and he would fall asleep. Like he was very supportive in, okay, she's not acting normal. She, I'm going to be right here. And it was just, it was very, very amazing. And it's nice to have a, another, another being with you that's not asking you a ton of questions and just wants to be there was very, very nice. So I know that that was very helpful as well uh, during treatment. And of course, they're so furry and fuzzy and great to pet. Yeah, Lauren, going off that, I think that the biggest thing for me was the the low maintenance company. Um, I, you know, can think of the, the living room set up and we had kind of two pieces of the couch. And so I would be laying down on one, and my dog would be laying down on the other. And I a lot of times wasn't up for, for talking or anything like that. But just nice to have some low maintenance company around. And then, of course, would usually bug me at least once a day to, to get out and walk, which is something I also needed. So when I was diagnosed, we had had my dog for nine years or so. Um, so already a pretty strong bond, but just felt like that really grew it even more. So was very appreciative to have that. Pets are also like a good way to sort of like break up your day. Like they always are doing something interesting or fun or cute and I just like think that's like so nice to just always have like 
know that if you don't want to talk, but you like want to interact, that they're there. I think that low maintenance company is a skill that I could learn from pets that we don't always want to talk when we just find it nice to be with a dog or a cat. It sounds interesting. And I, I, it took me a bit to understand this, but for me, it was also that my cat treated me the same as before I was diagnosed. So there was a bit of, and everything, everybody was lovely, but there was kind of those, especially in the beginning where I would just come home and it'd be, or just experiencing that. My cat treated me exactly the same. There was no change. It was still some of the standoffishness, still some of that, but exactly the same and understanding the same type of thing. So I thought that was really nice as well. And of course he changed a bit with treatment and me not feeling well to, to adapt, but he treated me exactly the same. No awkward pauses from people when they're like, oh, <laughs> you know, it was still the same. So, so that was nice as well. Yeah, that's a big one, Lauren. I agree, definitely. Like the first like kind of like week or so, like, you know, like when it's very new and stuff and like everyone's kind of adjusting to how to like talk to you and treat you because I think people forget like how to treat you like like a normal human that like you still are like when you first like get diagnosed and stuff. And it was so nice, like with my cat and like the other animals that we had in the house, like they were just like, oh, you're still my human. And they treated me the same. I enjoyed that. And of course, they also could sense, you know, like I said earlier, like, when like you're in pain and you're not feeling well and stuff, she knew like not to like lay on my abdomen sometimes because like I had had chemo earlier and I was feeling incredibly nauseous. So I didn't have to like explain that to her, like which is kind of tiring having those conversations too. It was just really nice, like not having to have conversations that I didn't really want to have. I also wanted to kind of ask, because we've like touched upon it a lot, but just like how do like we think in general that like pets help us help people and stuff. I think Karen's given a lot of great examples, like with training for like disability services and training for like pet therapy and stuff and also like emotional aspects. But if we wanted to talk more about that. If I may, I kind of have a question in, in that direction. Karen, I, I mentioned a little bit ago that my, my girlfriend got a dog about four months ago. I've said it, it's like therapeutic in a lot of senses to take care of something after for so long you had to be the one being taken care of. and. I just wondered what your experience was with that, you know, given the places that you are placing dogs and, and how you feel that that factors into people's lives to, to have that, that partnership. I think it's everything. You know, when it comes to our recipients, these dogs are with them 24-7. They are pets and then more because they're their partner at work. They're their partner at school. They, you know, go with them to restaurants and movies and doctor's appointments. and you know, everything you can imagine, they become best friend, partner, teammate, all of those things. You know, I think having that is, it's huge, right? We all need somebody. It's this bond that is kind of just unbreakable and unshakable. They're always there for each other. And it it is a two-way street. It's the person being there for the dog and giving them what they need and loving them in a big kind of way. And then the dog um, reciprocating and um, them just going through life together. You know, I do see with like young kids learning to take care of a dog and stuff. That's huge, right? It gives you some ownership and and some responsibility and, and it also builds on relationships. So I think it's kind of everything. The one thing I'll say on top of that is I feel like I certainly come with uh, like different questions for the vet. I remember asking about 
medications interacting and like that being okay and things like that. And I got a look from the vet, like not a type of question I'm, I'm used to getting, but I think I'm just, you know, placing my own experience and, and going with that. So I, I feel like I come to the vet with a whole different attitude. You know what? That's good though, because those, those questions keep your pet safe. A lot of people do the whole Google thing for their pets and that can be a really dangerous thing or they try to apply people medicine to pets. And that can be a tremendously dangerous thing. So I think asking those questions is is great. Like, I would love for people to ask those questions. <laughs> you know, I give lectures on don't do this, 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 and do this, this, this. And it's like, nobody tends to kind of think it through. And um, those are important questions. So kudos to you. It's good. <laughs> I think building off a little bit of what Casey said, I know that I used to be kind of cautious about asking questions to the doctors. And also as well with like vet questions with my cat and kind of the going with all of that. And I think going through this experience really makes, if anything, I completely lost any type of like hesitancy about asking questions because there's just it's like, why not? You know, I've, I've gone through that. So I think it goes along with, with that as questions with my, with my cat, like, oh, what if we do this instead? And it's like just a ton of questions. So I bet when they see me coming, they're like, she's going to be about 15 more minutes. I've had no medical doctor ever complain for asking a ton of questions. So no no vets either, but we'll see. Because I I think, and same thing as Casey's there, they're like, oh, they're asking a lot of of questions or like some interesting questions about that. I haven't asked about the interacting meds, but I think that that's pretty, that's pretty on point. (laughs) Karen, how'd you get to where you are today? And I guess like what's your background and training and and like your, your current role within the organization? My schooling and stuff has nothing to do with what I do now. Um, I graduated with a degree in computer science, and I worked for Macy's as an executive for a long time. And then I'm not telling you how long, because nobody needs to know how old I am. And then I took a very early retirement package when they consolidated to New York. I saw canine assistants on the TV and knew they were looking for volunteers. So I volunteered for a couple of years and then they had an instructor position that was opened and I turned my resume in, which basically reads um, that I could help you run your multi-million dollar company. Nothing to do with dogs, except that I love them. And Jennifer called me and said, yeah, I'd love to give you the job. Can't pay you what you're used to getting. You know, do you want to come work with us? And I said, I do. Um, this is where my heart is now, um, helping people by by being with dogs and working with dogs. It was a good thing for me and it was the right thing for me. And so I started as an instructor and I knew, you know, everything I've learned really is from Jennifer, our founder. Then the dogs teach you. If you, if you um, work with them, they teach you what they need and, and you learn how to teach. They're just like us. We all learn in different ways and there are different methods that reach each one of us. And so it's learning how to, how to apply that with dogs too, and how to identify it. So I was an instructor for a very long time, placed a lot of dogs. And then we started the hospital program. And as a volunteer, I was one of the volunteers that went to the hospital with dogs and loved it and helped found it at, at a couple of different hospitals here in Atlanta. I had a real passion for it. So when we started placing dogs with hospitals, I became our placement coordinator. So I'm in charge of all of our placements, regardless of what that positioning is. And then I became the director of the hospital initiative, which is the entire hospital program. 
I kind of wear a lot of different hats. I've been in charge of the puppies. I've, I've, you know, raised them from puppy all the way to adult, taught them all kinds of things. But now my role is really teaching in camp, making sure our recipients have the tools to succeed, working with the instructors to, to figure out which dogs are ready and doing the right match between personalities and skill sets. And then with the hospital program, it's, it's working with the hospital teams to start their program from the idea of, I think this sounds fun and cool and a nice thing for our patients to bringing it to fruition and then having a really strong, great program for as long as they want the program. You guys have been amazing. And I would, I, you know, I think you're great advocates for, for animals and for what they can do to help us and make our lives better. It's a really good thing. And that's, that's why I enjoy what I do because the way I'm filled up is seeing how the dogs are spreading love and giving everybody just a little bit of peace. Thanks for listening to Life on Pause. Ideas or suggestions for future episodes? Feel free to share them with us. Join us for the next recording on the third Tuesday of the month. Until Until next time. time.